Turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Now, for those who are here for the first time in a couple of weeks this morning, or uh, if you're watching online and you um, haven't been here or, or seen what we're doing in the last couple of weeks, today is the last message in a very brief three-week series called From Here to There, From Here to There. And uh, it's what we're doing is we're taking a very quick overview of the book of Exodus, and we're using the physical journey, uh, the physical move of God's people from slavery in Egypt to where God wanted to take them. And we're using that as an example to learn lessons for us in our individual lives about where God is meeting you, where you currently are, the journey uh, to get from where you are to where he wants you to go. We've looked at that in the last two weeks. And today, we're gonna wrap this up to where God wants to take you. And so with that being said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning for uh, your goodness to us. God, we give you thanks this morning for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, in all things, uh, you are worthy of praise and, and thanksgiving. And so, Lord, we, we, we want to acknowledge that. But Lord, we also want to, to really focus now, to hear what you want to say, uh, to be changed by that encounter, to be challenged by that encounter, to be convicted by that encounter, to make the appropriate uh, alterations in our life, in our direction, our choices so that you will be pleased and we can honor and glorify your name in all things. So Lord, bless your word today. Uh, use me to communicate as you would have in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. 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 All right. So Exodus chapter 33. Uh, that's where we're going to start this morning. Uh, and in the end of last Sunday's message in the journey, last week we looked at the journey from where you are to where God wants to take you. And we shared that from Exodus 20 to Exodus 31, God is taking his people to a new place. And remember, no matter where you are, God always says that you can move closer to him. There's always a place to move to. So even if you are walking close to the Lord, guess what? You can get closer. No matter how hard you are serving God, no matter how faithful you're serving God, God says there's always room to move closer to him and move more in his direction. So it really doesn't matter where you are this morning. There's always room for growth and movement toward Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. I just want to make sure we agree with that. Uh, so in Exodus 20 through 31, God was preparing his people for this place that he wants to take them. And so he, he was laying down rules for, hey, this is what your life needs to look like, and this is what worship needs to look like. And worship must be central in your life. It has to, you have to learn to make worship and the worship of God and his community and his people, you gotta make that central. And then as you do that, the way that you live honors God. And so the way you live and the way you worship became sort two of the primary things that God is communicating and teaching his people as they move from where they were to where he wanted to take them. And so we pick up the story in Exodus 33. And now this is after the golden calf incident, right? So God had told them how to worship. He told them how to live. And because Moses took too long, they went back to old habits. They went back to old habits. 
And obviously, we know that God was not pleased. And so he had basically said, all right, you guys go ahead. Go on, keep on the journey, keep going in the place that I told you I want to take you, but I'm, I'm not going with you. I'll send you there, but I'm not going. And Moses begged God, God, don't do that. God, please don't send us to where you want us to go if you're not going to do it too. God, don't do that. And so when we look in verse 14 of Exodus 33, Exodus 33, verse 14, after God and Moses had had this plea bargain agreement, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Now, I just shared a little interesting tidbit about me. I love to travel. I've always loved to travel. I love seeing new things. I love experiencing new things. And so whenever we're getting ready to go somewhere, whenever we're getting to check out a new destination, man, I am all about the destination. You can ask Leslie. I'm, I'm sure it drives her nuts. I start researching. I want to find out everything there is to know about this place. I want to know, hey, what's there when we get there? What can we do? What does it look like? How's it going to be? You know, what are all the activities? What are the things that we can experience while we're there? Right? No, we don't. Shopping is not on the list of things that I'm looking for. In fact, it's a big X on that one. Any of you, any of the rest of you guys like that, especially if you're going somewhere, it's like you want to know all about it before you go. All right. So because it's all about the destination, I'm about to go somewhere I haven't been. Man, I, I want to know everything that I can possibly know before I get there. But here's, here's the problem and the challenge with that. See, when I start looking all about the destination, when it becomes all about the destination, it's easy for me to forget that no matter what they have to offer there, it won't be quite as much fun. It won't be nearly as enjoyable. It won't be nearly as satisfying if Leslie isn't with me, even if that means shopping, and we pray that it doesn't. But it's not going to be as satisfying if she's not with me or when the kids were smaller. Wherever it is that we're going, no matter how awesome it might be, it's not going to be as satisfying if the kids that that we are connected to, that, that are part of our life, if they're not with us, it's just not going to be the same, no matter how great that destination might be. And so I've kind of come to the place that I understand that destination without relation is a bad situation. Destination without relation is a bad situation because it brings separation, isolation, and temptation. You realize that? When you go on your own and you're in a place now, you're in a bad situation because you are isolated, you are separated. And temptation becomes a very, very real thing. And so when it becomes all about the destination, not about the relation, then you're setting yourself up for a difficult and maybe a damaging and destructive encounter. 
And so what we learn from this uh, back and forth between God and Moses is that it's not about the destination, it's about the relation, it's about the presence of God. Now, see, here's the thing. When we start thinking about where God wants to take us, right? We can just be just like myself when I'm looking at a place that I wanna go. Oh man, God's gonna take me here. God's gonna take me there. God's gonna do this with me. God's gonna do this through me. It's gonna be so good. I can't wait. I can't, I, 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 I can't wait to see what it's gonna be. It's gonna be so awesome. This is gonna be great for me. And when it becomes all about the destination and not about the relation, you've missed the point of where God wants to take you. When it becomes what God is going to do in you or through you or what you're going to be able to experience, you've missed the point of where God wants to take you because it's not about the destination, it's about the relation, it's about the presence of God in your life on the way. Now, you know, I guess the question that we all have to kind of ask ourselves, what does a relationship with God look like in your life? What does a relation with God look like in your life? Well, it's probably going to look a little bit different for all of us. But I think I, I love what the Apostle Paul wrote in terms of describing his relation with, with Christ, his relation with God, what that looks like in his life. Here's what he said in Romans chapter 8, thir- verses 35 through 39. You've heard this before, but I want to read it. Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here's the part that I love so much. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? That's what the presence of God is. That's what it needs to look like. That's what it needs to feel like. Paul wrote this beautiful description of the presence of God. And when we're moving in whatever direction that God is calling us to move in, it doesn't matter what happens. Paul was shipwrecked. He was bitten by snakes. He was persecuted. Did it matter? No, because neither height nor depth nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, nothing could separate him from the love of God. See, it's not about so much where God is taking you. It's about who you're going with and it needs to be in close harmony and relationship with God. Flip over to Exodus 34, one chapter. We're gonna look at verses nine and 10. And so Moses says, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people. If the shoe fits, wear it, right? Even though we're a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And he said, behold, I make a covenant Before all your people, I will do marvels such as I've not done in all the earth. 
nor in any nation and all the people among you whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Where God wants to take us, church, requires a renewed commitment to him and trust in his commitment to us. You are where you are by choice, by accident, by slowly drifting in a direction, but you are where you are. But wherever you are, you can always move closer to God. And in the journey, we're supposed to learn things. But now this morning, we're talking about where does God want to take you? He wants to take you to a place of renewed commitment to him and trust in his commitment to us. That's one of the places where God wants to take you. See, Moses said, God, God, take us as your inheritance. Moses was making a fresh commitment to God. God, we want to be yours. We want to be yours. Take us as your inheritance, God. And God said, okay, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And I'm going to do things with you. And so wherever it is that God is taking you, he wants to make sure that you are making a fresh commitment to him and you are making a fresh commitment to trust his commitment to us. Now, why is that? Well, you know, I love the word that he uses, covenant, because we talk about in the marriage relationship all the time that it's a covenant, right? When two people get married, they're making a covenant with each other. How many of you always understand, even after, even after you've been married for years? Now, uh, I said, by the way, Mark and Jen, 29 years today, right? Yay! Thirty years coming up for Leslie and me in a couple of months, and even after twenty-nine or thirty years, do you still understand everything that the other person does? No, 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 you don't. No, you don't. And you know what a covenant marriage means? That means that there is a commitment that is unilateral. I am committed to this person no matter what and the other person makes a unilateral commitment in the other direction. And that means that even when you don't understand what the other person is doing, you don't understand what they're saying, you're committed to them anyway. And so the reason that God wants to take us to a place of renewed commitment to him and trust in his commitment to us is because believe me, you're not always gonna understand what God does. And I think a lot of us, we operate so much in the flesh. And when I say in the flesh, I don't mean in a sinful way. We think the way we think in, as human beings. We respond the way we respond as human beings. God is doing things that we don't see, we don't understand. And because we don't see them, we don't understand them. We start thinking human thoughts and having human reactions and you know what? When we don't get it, when we don't get it, when we don't understand it, we start to want to go in the opposite direction because, man, I don't get that. I don't know what he's doing, so I'm going to go off and do my own thing. Do we do that or not? Absolutely we do. And so a renewed commitment to him and trust in his commitment to us is so incredibly important because you're not going to understand everything that God does. It requires trust in church Trust is an increasingly rare commodity in today's world. And if there's one person 
that we ought to always be able to trust, it's God. So even when you don't understand, even when you don't get it, even when it makes no sense, did it make sense to the Israelites not to go the short route to the promised land, but go by the Red Sea instead? Of course it didn't make sense. Let's go the short way. When God doesn't make sense, you must trust him. That's part of where he wants to take us. Now, let's keep reading in chapter 34, beginning in verse 11. He says, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I'm driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I'd hate to be the ites. He says, Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods. And one of them invites you and you eat his sacrifice. And you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlots with their gods. God says, hey, listen, I'm gonna drive them out, but you gotta tear everything down. You gotta destroy it all. And here's, here's another part of where God wants to take us this morning. He wants to take us to a place of total commitment to him and a rejection of all competing distractions. That's where God wants to take you this morning. Of total commitment to him and a rejection of all competing distractions. Now, he talks about all these other gods. Listen, you gotta eliminate them. Why? Other gods, you know what they are? They're, they're the shiny object syndrome in, in, in the, the life of faith. You know what the shiny object syndrome is, right? All right, you're doing something. Yeah, have you ever tried to study for something or you've got an important uh, task, something that you've got to do, it's got to get done on a certain time, and you start working on it, whether it's out in the shed you know, or the barn or, or maybe you're sitting down, you're trying to study something, and all of a sudden, everything else but the thing that you're working on starts to grab your attention. If you've ever had that happen, raise your hand. That's the shiny object syndrome, right? It's like whatever starts to get your attention starts to move you away from the very thing that you sat down or went out to accomplish in the first place. And other gods are the shiny object syndrome of faith. What do I mean by that? When we start moving in the direction where God wants to take us, if we don't get rid of them, they take us right back into the wrong direction away from God. So what are, what are some of those other gods that are shiny object syndrome? Well, how about if you need a job, you need work, and the first one that offer, is offered requires that you work every Sunday? I need a job, so I'll just take it, because even if I have to work every Sunday. Does God say that he sees what you need and that he can take care of you? Does he say that in his word? 
But we don't really believe that sometimes, do we? Oh, well, here's the first job that was offered, and yeah, it's every Sunday. Well, whatever. You know, I'll take it. Shiny object syndrome. Other gods before God. Or, or what, about, what about parents that think they got to take their kids to be participating in every event outside the church on Sunday mornings because if we don't, our kids are not going to get ahead. Can God take care of your kids? Can he provide for them outside of the normal realm of, of provision? Um, nobody loves sports more than I do in this church. I can just promise you that right now. I love sports. Love sports. We all, before I even got into full-time ministry, we just had a, had a strong, hard rule in our home. We're not going to fight between, you know, out, out extracurricular activities and, and the place of God in our life. We're just not. Our boys knew that. Now, we're in ministry. I, I don't know if you know a whole lot about ministry, but in all the years of ministry, you know, uh, that we've been in, it's usually been pretty, pretty hand-to-mouth, pretty close, not a whole lot of extra cash. And so our boys reached uh, college age, and they hadn't been in any sports, so they didn't, they didn't have any scholarships available. Uh, they weren't exactly the most brilliant kids on the block, so they didn't have any academic scholarships. Man, how in the world are mom and dad going to pay for college? I have no idea. I went online and did a Google search for the cheapest colleges in America. You know what I found? I found a link to a place called College of the Ozarks in Branson, Missouri. An incredibly awesome school that has zero tuition. That's right in our budget. Zero tuition. Like, son, that's awesome. But you know what else? They have one of the hardest uh, uh, entry uh, uh, systems in, in all of America. They're one of the 10 hardest schools to get into in the United States. You know that? They have less than 8% acceptance rate of all their applications. It's even lower than the military academies. It's lower than most uh, Ivy League schools. All right, so we have no connection there. Our kids got no money. We got no money. How in the world are you going to get to college? And then we find a free one. But, man, their acceptance rate is 8%. Zach got accepted. Amen? Why did I not sweat that? Because God knows how to take care of his own when we honor him. And we have to get to a place where we don't let other gods become shiny objects that keep interfering with going where God wants us to go. And he also said, don't let those other gods get there because competing gods almost always move us in a destructive direction. You know why I know that? Because anything that doesn't move us toward God moves us away from God, and moving away from God is always damaging for us. Amen? So one of the places where God wants to take us is where we have total commitment to him and a rejection of all competing distractions. Now, let's flip over to chapter 39. Exodus 39. We're going to look at verse 32, and then we'll skip down to 42, starting with 32 and then skip to 42. So thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. 
And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Now skip down to verse 42. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. And then Moses looked over all the work and indeed they had done it. And as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it. And check out this last part. And Moses blessed them. Moses blessed them. Church, where God wants to take us is to a place that in our surrender to him, we begin to do exactly as he has directed us to do, and then we're blessed by it. God wants to take us to a place where we do exactly as he has commanded, but then in return, we're blessed by it. Now, I don't know about you, but it blows my mind that a God that has the absolute right to demand complete and total obedience to whatever he tells us to do, does he have that right, yes or no? Okay, he's got that right. The God that has the right to completely direct obedience on our behalf will turn around and bless it when we do. That just blows my mind. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse nine says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. He sent his one and only son to die on a cross to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin, to pay for the sin of anybody and everybody that ever watches this message online. God sent his son to pay what I could not pay. He owes me nothing, but I owe him everything. I'm redeemed. I'm sanctified. I have a future in heaven because of what Jesus did for me on the cross because God was a loving father that gave me what I could not get on my own. Beyond that, he owes me nothing. I owe him everything, and yet, and yet, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, seeking whom he can show favor to by those who are trying to honor him with their lives. You know, I think sometimes as we uh, are moving in the direction of God, and we get to places where we don't really understand what he's doing. We don't really understand where he's going. And we start to get weary. And you remember Paul said, don't get weary in doing well because in due season you shall reap if you don't quit. Keep going, keep going. Don't, don't give up even though you get weary. But we do get weary. And when we get weary and we want to sit down or turn around, if we keep going, that's exactly who God is looking for, to show up and show favor, to show blessing. You know, and I think sometimes so many of us as Christians, are, we, we have this weird uh, picture of, of God's blessing that he just sort of owes it to us because, oh, hey, he's a good God. No, he doesn't owe us anything, but he, here's what he does. If you will live for me, if you will honor me, if you will do it, live according to my teaching, I'm looking for you. Because I do want to bless you. And if you have a, if you're as a parent and you have children that do exactly what you want them to, what they, you ask them to do, you know exactly what the heart of God is.
Because I don't know about you, but when our kids were doing what we asked them to do, man, we won, we'd, we'd bend over backwards for them. Did we have a right to ask them to do certain things? Of course we did. We gave them life. We can take their life. We gave them life. We can take it, right? It's as it should be. But when they did what we asked them, even though we had the right to ask them, you know what we wanted to do? We wanted to bless them. That's the way God works. He owes us nothing. But he looks for the people that he can show up and go, that's my son, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's my kid. You see how good they're doing? Yeah, I know it's hard, but I'm going to show up and bless them because I want them to know that I'm still here with them. God wants to take us to a place where he can actually begin to bless us because we're living in obedience to what he's asked us to do. One more passage this morning, Exodus chapter 40. We're going to look at verses 34 through 38. This is the last chapter of the book of Exodus. It says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Church, where God wants to take us is to a place where we walk together at all times and in every situation. God wants to take us to a place where we walk together at all times in every situation. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because most of us would have to raise our hands and we'd be embarrassed, including, including your pastor. But I think for most of us, there have been times and situations in our life where, you know what we'd really like to do? We'd like to park Jesus somewhere. Jesus, you just stay here. You just wait right here. I got something I want to do, and I don't really want you along for this little side journey I'm going to take. So you just, eventually, sooner or later. But God, you just chill right here for a while. Man, that is such a strong temptation. Because we are made of flesh and blood, and it is a constant battle to surrender the flesh to the spirit. And God wants to take us to a place where we will walk together at all times and in every situation where we stop coming to those intersections, where we stop coming to those moments and those places in our life where we say, God, you just wait here. I'm going to, I'm gonna, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. But you just hang out and I'll see you when I see you again. Because church, it is not about the destination. It's about the relation. And a destination without a relation is a bad situation. 
because it leads to isolation, separation, and temptation. So when we park Jesus, when we say, hey, I don't need that relation right now, I got something else to do, it takes us to a bad and dangerous place. And God wants to take us to a place where that no longer is an option in our lives. That in all things, in all times, in all situations, God walk with me. As you read that passage throughout all their journeys, that's God's goal for your life, is throughout all your journeys that you always walk with him. Now you might notice that here in the book of Exodus, you know, God was moving them from slavery to the promised land. They wind up in the promised land at the end of Exodus. So why in the world are we talking about this? What, what point can we possibly make in about where God wants to take you when they didn't even get to the promised land? Here's the last point I want to make, and that is that the end of that journey that God takes us on, it will take us to a place that's flowing with milk and honey. But we will never fully realize it in this life. See, God has an eternity planned for us that is incredibly beautiful, incredibly profound, and it will never end. It is joy without end. And I think sometimes if we ever reached what felt like that point in this life, why would we keep pursuing Jesus? Hey, I got what I need. No, God is going to make sure that we have that in eternity. That day that we breathe our last breath, it's coming. And it's coming without end forever. Praise the Lord. But in this life, we will always be in the process of moving from where we were to where God is taking us. There are lessons in the journey. And the place that God wants to take us involves all of those things that we just got through looking at. But here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 11. We call Hebrews 11 kind of the hall of, the hall of faith, right? It's that passage of scripture where we, we read about these people who did incredible things for God. Verse 13 of Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they'd come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul said, not that I've already attained or that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Church, we're never going to fully get to where God wants us to go in this life. 
But wherever you are, God says there's always room to move closer to him. And Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind, I keep pressing. I'm not saying I've attained it. He hadn't got there yet. You and I, we've not got there yet. And we will never get there until we breathe that last breath and we see Jesus face to face and we fall down and worship at his feet and we say, my God, my God. But while we're on our way there, God wants us to experience some things that give us a taste of what that will be. To keep our appetites wetted to keep us hungry in pursuit of who he is and what he's offering. Wherever you are this morning, there's room to get closer to Jesus. Some of you, maybe you haven't even started the journey yet. You know who Jesus is, you believe in him, but you've never said yes to Christ. We ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. We enter a time of prayer and decision. Now we asked for a show of hands this morning if there was any guest and we don't have any guests. Lord willing, maybe we've got some guests that are watching online. But the fact that in the house we've got people that all say, hey, I've been here before. This is my place. Usually that means that we're all here because we've accepted Christ. But man, that is one of the scariest things in the modern church is because just showing up to church does not make you a Christian. And so this morning, I'm gonna ask you to search your heart to be totally clear and transparent between you, me, and God. Is there anyone who would say this morning, hey, Coach Mark, I'm, I'm not sure. I know the story of Jesus, but I really don't remember if I've asked him to come into my life and save me. I just can't remember and I'm not certain. Anybody in that situation this morning would raise your hand, say, would you pray for me? I wanna be sure, anyone. Okay, by our testimony of hands this morning, we're saying that we're all followers of Christ. Praise the Lord for that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna ask you this morning to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Don't follow me, don't follow another pastor in this church, don't follow an idea, don't follow a tradition, follow Jesus. And Jesus' call on us this morning as individuals is to move from where we are to where he wants to take us. So I'm gonna ask you to stand now God, we're gonna open the altar here in just a moment. Lord, I pray that everyone this morning will see clearly and honestly where they are. And God, I pray for a powerful move of the Holy Spirit to sweep across this congregation and so that every one of us this morning will make a fresh commitment to moving to where you want us to be from where we are to where you want us to be so that we can be blessed, so that we can be a blessing and honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The altars are open. You don't have to pray alone. Come and do business with the Lord as we make sure that we are moving from where we are to where he wants us to be.